We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 12, and as Rob said today, we're going to be talking about the tongue, which is that interesting piece of muscle tissue in your mouth, and, and it's, it's very small in comparison to the rest of your body, and yet, as we'll see today, it is capable of a lot. So the Bible talks about the tongue in a couple of ways. Like this one time in Mark chapter 7, well, one of the ways it talks about it is in a physical sense, just, you know, the, the thing in your mouth. And this one time in Mark chapter 7, Jesus uh, was, there was a group of people that brought a man to Jesus so that he could heal them. And uh, there's this man, and he was mute and deaf, meaning that he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. And Jesus heals the man, but he does it in a very unique way. First, he takes his fingers and he sticks them inside of the man's ears and then he takes his hand, he spits into his hand, reaches into the man's mouth and grabs him by the tongue. And then with a deep sigh, he prays and he says, Epfatha, which means be opened. And then Mark says that the man was able to go away speaking and hearing plainly. And can we just be honest just for a moment? That's kind of an interesting thing, right? Could you, could you imagine somebody spitting into their hand and then grabbing you by the tongue? It's not, you know? Um, by the way, I don't recommend that as a, as a general way of praying for people. Um, but what I love about this strange and yet awesome miracle is that Jesus used some interesting methods in healing in, in, in his work. And it shows us that just when we think that we can pin Jesus to a method, he goes and does something like that that just makes us realize, oh, yes. You, you have wisdom that even sometimes I just don't understand. And, and, and the beautiful truth about this encounter that I see is that Jesus knew what that man needed on that day. And apparently he needed a little bit of Jesus spit on his tongue. But, but what the man really needed was to have his tongue loosed. And with that tongue that was healed, he was able to praise and thank Jesus that day. In the same way, I believe that God knows what each one of us needs today. And I'm convinced that if you will yield yourself to God's unique work that he's doing in your life, that, that today he will bring healing to, to the places that you need it. And, and perhaps it may involve your tongue. Because you see, the, the Bible doesn't just speak about the tongue in the physical sense, it also speaks about it in the symbolic sense. In the, in the way that words come from our tongues and the effect that our words have. You know, our words are more powerful and more spiritual than you may think. Words matter, and you guys have probably heard that childhood saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Wrong. <laughs> Right? That's, that's not true, because if you've been a human being for any amount of time, you know that words do hurt people. They can cause some serious injury, even maybe injure you more than if a rock were thrown at you. So words have power. That is what James is going to show us today. Words have power. Power to encourage and power to discourage. Power to build up and power to tear down. Power to produce life and power to produce death. Our words have power. And because words come off of our tongues, we need to be instructed by God's word on how we use these things. And so James is now going to give us that instruction here 
in James chapter three. But before we get into the text, can we do this? Can we pray? Because here's the amazing thing about our tongues is that we can use our tongues to pray to the creator of the universe, the one who actually made that thing in your mouth. I love what God said to Moses when he called him. And Moses said, I, I can't speak for you, God. I, I, I have a stutter. I, I don't know what I'm saying. And God says to him, who made your mouth? So God made our mouths, and they ought to be used to praise him. And so let's pray right now, thanking him for this day and asking that his word would speak to us. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you talk to us, Lord. You talk to us by your living word and by the spirit that dwells in us. And so I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak. And God, that we would have ears to hear what you are speaking. And then I pray that, Lord, that we would have mouths, Lord, tongues that would communicate the wonderful mysteries of God as we go out of this place. God, we ask that you would just be in our midst. Bless this time as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start reading what God has spoken to us in James chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So this first verse here, it has, it has less to do with you and it has more to do with me. Because what I'm doing right now is teaching the Bible. And I love to teach the Bible because God's word is living and active. It's powerful. It transforms people's lives. And it's amazing to see it at work. I love to see a life that has been renewed at the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so I consider it a real privilege to be able to stand before you each week and to open God's word and to communicate it to you. But I'm also exhorting God's word to take this work very seriously because teaching the Bible is a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. As a teacher of the Bible, you have the responsibility of declaring God's truth to people accurately. You know, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, writing to a young pastor named Timothy to encourage him to continue teaching the word of God in the churches. And he charged him with that responsibility, telling him that he needed to present himself as one who was approved, meaning that he needed to have godly character. And then he calls him to be a worker that has no need to be ashamed by rightly handling the word of truth. So Timothy was called to rightly handle or rightly divide the word of God. The idea of that is to cut it straight. And so if anyone aspires to be a teacher of the Bible, the Bible says you desire a good task, but we had better understand the responsibility that comes with being a teacher of God's word. You are communicating God's truth to people, which is going to have influence on what people will believe about God, which will then have an impact on how people will live for God. Therefore, if you mishandle God's word, you are misrepresenting God to people. And what could be worse than that? So look, God has done an amazing job at revealing himself to us in the scriptures. I like to say about the Bible that it has everything in it that you will ever need to know about God and everything that you'll ever need to know about yourself. 
So if God has called you to teach his word, whether it's be in kids ministry or youth ministry or you discipling somebody or a small group or a home group, whatever it is, any way that you might teach God's word, you need to understand that, it, yes, it's a privilege, but it is also a responsibility because you're helping people see themselves and God rightly through the scriptures. So what I'm doing right now, I will be accountable to God for one day. At the judgment seat of Christ, I will give an account for what I've done in this pulpit. And, and, you know, we've been talking about this judgment seat of Christ a lot recently. It's kind of like an award ceremony that'll happen for believers where we will be judged um, for our works. It's not a judgment of sin because as we've been learning, sin was judged at the cross. So you're not judged for condemnation, but you're, you're, you're judged for commendation. What, what rewards are you going to receive for the things that you did in the name of Christ? And so, you know, when I stand before God on that day of judgment, I want to be able to give an account to him that I did not misrepresent him by mishandling his word. I have been given much, and therefore I will be required of much. So I understand that because I teach the Bible, I will be judged with greater strictness. But again, this isn't meant to scare any away from teaching the Bible. I would say this, we need more Bible teachers. In these last days, the, the fields are white unto harvest, but Jesus says the laborers are few. And so if God has called you to teach his word, then go do it. But let there be a healthy weight of responsibility as you do. Now, I got to take the heat on the first half of the message. You get to take the heat now on the second half, okay? So, but the whole reason why not many should be teachers is that a teacher needs to be a master of the tongue. And not in the sense that they have an eloquence of speech, but in the sense that they speak the truth in love. And not many people are able to do that. Look at verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James says that we all stumble in many things. And this is a good reminder to us, right, of just our weakness, that we are fallen, sinful people. We stumble in many things. And I appreciate this. I appreciate that, that James says we. So I'll include myself in this, and I hope you do too, that you stumble in many things. Do you? Yes. So he includes himself as one who is held to a stricter judgment for teaching and one who stumbles in many things. He didn't pull the, you know, well, I'm the half-brother of Jesus card. He understood that he would stand before God as well. So James says, we all stumble in many things. That word stumble is another way of saying that we all sin. We all miss the mark. We mess up. We make mistakes. We fall into error. And we stumble in many ways, all kinds of ways. Yet if you do not stumble in what you say, you are a perfect person because you are able to bridle and control your whole body. Now, before anyone goes on and commits the sin of pride, thinking that somehow you've achieved this, look down at verse 8, which says, but no human being can tame the tongue. So, you're not perfect. You're like, great, thanks for the reminder. 
We've all stumbled in many ways. But James used a word here that he uses in his letter, the word teleos, and it means to be perfect, to be complete, to be fully matured. Now, here's a question. Are you perfect yet? Are, are you complete? Are you fully matured? No, no, we would all agree that we are works in process, progress, right? We, we, we're not what we used to be, but we're definitely not where we need to be. And so the tongue is a revelation that God is not finished with you yet. God has more to do in us. See, Romans 3, Paul writes to convince everyone that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the way he does this, just to get everyone all included, he talks about how there is none righteous, no, not a single person, and what he does is he refers to how we use our tongues. He said that our throats are an open grave, that we use our tongues to deceive, that there is the venom of snakes under our lips, and that our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. And you might say, well, that's a little harsh to say. But you have to understand this, that one false word before a holy God is sin. And there is no one, no one other than Jesus who has been perfect in what they have spoken. We have all sinned in many ways, but especially with our tongues. And if you say that you haven't sinned, you're lying, and you just sinned with your tongue. That's what John says in his epistle. He says, if you say that you have not sinned, not only are you lying, but you're also calling God a liar. So let me say this again. Our words matter to God. Now, if we've all sinned with our tongues, are we just supposed to throw our hands up and say, what's the use? We're all, we're all sinners. No, we're meant to turn ourselves to Jesus, to be convinced of our need for him, because of the seriousness of words. And James is now going to give a couple of illustrations to really drive home the point that you need someone to control your tongue. You need Jesus. He's going to speak about horses and ships and forest fires and animal training and fruit and water. These are going to be illustrations that James will give us to convince us that these little tiny things inside of our mouths need God. So look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, if you like to ride horses, you're going to understand this analogy because horses are these massive animals, these amazingly strong creatures. And the first summer when my family and I moved to Palos Verdes, we signed our daughter up for a pony camp. But the animal that she was riding on was not a pony, okay? <laughs> this thing was massive, this horse, its name was Charlie, and apparently it was related to the famous horse Seabiscuit. And so I like to say my daughter has ridden greatness. And, um, and so, but seeing my little girl on that horse made me kind of nervous. Because that thing could have taken off running, could have bucked her off its back. And uh, a horse can do a lot of damage if it's not controlled. But what brought me a lot of comfort was that this horse had a bit in its mouth. And you see, the, the trainer or the rider would pull on the reins, which were connected to the bit, and that, that little tiny bit would steer that massive horse. So 
Hopefully you're picking up on the horse illustration and how it relates to your tongue. But if that didn't get through to you, think about ships in verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. We know that ships are massive vessels. We look out at the Pacific Ocean and we see these boats out there and, you know, anything can happen to a ship that is out, out at sea. A strong wind could come along and blow a ship off its course. We know that the Apostle Paul had a few shipwrecks himself as he was traveling on his missionary journeys. However, ships have rudders, these small things underneath the boat where the pilot can direct that little rudder down in the water and it'll steer the whole ship in the direction that it needs to go. Large ships are guided by small rudders. Okay, so we've heard about bits in horses' mouths and rudders that steer large ships. So what does this have to do with our tongues? Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. In the same way that a small bit can move a massive horse or a tiny rudder can steer a whole ship, so too the tongue is a very small member in comparison to the overall body, and yet it boasts of great things. Part of the point that James is making is this. Our tongues have power. If we didn't have our tongues, we wouldn't be able to speak. And if we didn't speak, we would probably sin a lot less. Because people stumble in many ways, but especially with their tongues. Listen to this proverb. And there are many proverbs that tell us about the power of words. But I like this one. Romans chapter, sorry, Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. So here's the principle. The more you talk, the more you're going to sin. So again, what should we do? Does this mean that we should just stop talking? Never speak again? And some people in church history have resorted to this, taking vows of silence. But I don't believe that that's what God is looking for. See, God is looking that we would have the wisdom to have our tongues be guided. See, there's wisdom in speaking less and listening more. James already told us that earlier in this book. He said, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's been said that God gave us two ears in one mouth so that we would listen twice as much as we speak. So the answer is not to stop speaking. Maybe speaking a little less would be a good idea, but, but the idea is that we should have greater control in the things that we say. Have you ever been around somebody who says, I just say what's ever on my mind? Yeah? Uh, are those people fun to be around? No. No, because if, if you know the things that come into your mind, you know, it's, it's just like, if we said everything that came into our minds, we would be wrecking havoc. But there's people who do that. They bring disaster with their tongues in this way. And, and, and what I like to say is this, is that God has given you two cages to control your tongue. 
He gave you your teeth and your lips. Think about it. You know, he gave us two cages so that we could lock up that unruly thing that is inside your mouth. You ever heard the phrase, bite your tongue? It's like, just made it past your teeth, but it ain't coming past the lips. You know? And, and so, can I just give a very plain encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ? Because I'll, I'll, I'll say this to believers in Jesus Christ, because if you don't know Jesus, good luck controlling your tongue. You know? But if you know Jesus, you're supposed to speak differently because you are different. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. You represent another. You represent the God of heaven and earth. You are the mouthpiece for King Jesus, an ambassador of reconciliation. So you know what we do then? We have to ask that the Spirit would take the reins of our tongues, that, that God would pilot our mouths, that when we speak, it would be God doing the guiding. It would be God really doing the speaking through us. Now, as we go into verse 6, James will give a few more illustrations that are really going to drive home this point that we need to control the tongue. But first, listen to what Jesus said about the tongue in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This means that your mouth will speak what your heart is full of. What's in your heart? And, and, and it's why we need God's word hidden deep within our hearts. Love this psalm. Psalm 119 verses 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. He's saying, my heart is full of your word. Why? That I might not sin against you. See, what is inside of your heart will eventually make its way out of your mouth. All right, so starting in the second half of verse 5 and into verse 6, we read this. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now, this is an illustration that I think we're going to understand living here in California with uh, the kinds of forest fires that we have. You know, how does, how does a forest fire usually start? I, I did some research, found out that 25% of forest fires come from, you know, a campfire, an uncontained fire. A little ember, you know, pops out and, and burns down a forest. Or, or a, a good percentage is, you know, cigarette thrown out the window. There's all different ways that just a little tiny spark can set an entire forest ablaze. And again, the same is true for our tongues. This little unruly thing inside of our mouths flares up, sends out a spark, and that spark catches, and then it spreads, and it causes destruction. And eventually, all that is around us gets burned up by the fire of your tongue, because the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. But did you notice that James says that this fiery tongue, did you see what it's set on fire by? He said it's set on fire by hell. 
That's something to think about, that a tongue could be set on fire by hell. We, we know that the devil is called the father of lies, and that sin entered the world because he deceived Eve and Adam into doing the things that God said not to do. See, when the devil speaks, he tempts, and he lies, and he deceives. You know, in the garden, what did Satan say to Eve? He said, did God really say that? There's such a need as a church and as believers that we would be discerners of truth in error. That, that when we are hit with that question, did God really say that? We'd be able to say, yeah, God did say that. Or, or no, God did not say that. We need to know God's word and we need to have God's word hidden in our hearts so that it'll come out of our mouths because look, what comes out of your mouth is gonna tell you what's in your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then, then what are you listening to and what are you speaking? Will you believe and speak the enemy's words or will you believe and speak God's words? Will you have your tongue set on fire by hell or, or will you speak with the life that comes from heaven? And my prayer has been just this week, God, let your words be my words. God, let my tongue Bring the fires of revival that would extinguish the fires of hell. Will you pray that along with me? God, use my mouth to speak your word. We need that. We need men and women. We need young people. We need all people who will use their tongues to pray for revival and use their voices to boldly declare the gospel so that more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you have been saved from hell, then so has your tongue. So loose it. Open your mouth. Pray. Paul prayed that. He said, pray for me that I may open my mouth and speak boldly as I ought to. If Paul the apostle needed to receive prayer that he would speak the gospel, then so do you and so do I. Pray with your tongue Ask God that he may loose your tongue so that you can speak of his goodness and his glory in this lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. Verses 7 and 8 says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I'm already feeling pretty convinced and convicted about the power of the tongue, I hope you are too. But James is wanting to take this a little bit further. He says that we have these tongues, and, and he's saying you got to control them. And James says in verse 7 that, that every single kind of animal has been tamed. And it's true. Look, you could go on YouTube, and you can see people hugging lions. You can see people holding reptiles that I would never want to touch. You, you can see just, you could see a whale do a backflip. Mankind has tamed every kind of animal there is, and yet we cannot tame the tongue. Even go, if you're watching those YouTube videos of whales doing backflips, look at the comment section. You'll see no one can tame the tongue. <laughs> right? It's true. No one can tame the tongue. By the way, we live in a time when I would say that, you know, um, people have keyboard confidence where they'll say things 
into their phones, type things into the internet that they wouldn't otherwise say out loud. It's just an extension of your tongue. And, and in fact, I'd say it's even more permanent. So we need to be thinking about our tongues. It's a restless evil. The, the tongue does not sleep. So what do we do? Do we just go on saying, well, uh, I, I can't do it. Just keep spewing, spewing out the, the poison from our mouths? No. We're a changed people. We're to ask God to change us. We're to say, God, I, I know that my mouth has been used for things that it should not be used for. So God, will you guide me in this? Will you help me in this? God, you have saved me and you are changing me. You've made me a new creation. So God, would you recreate my mouth? God, will you, will you allow me to present every member of my body as an instrument for righteousness? We must tame the tongue and it is possible. It's possible because we have God's spirit dwelling in us. God's transformed your heart, hasn't he? Then it'll come out through the things that you say. Now look at verses 9 and 10, and, and remember this. Remember that James is talking to Christians. He's going to call them brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the family of God about our tongues. And like I said, unless you've, you've been born again, good luck. It says, though, to the Christians about our tongues, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You know, I'll, I'll admit to this, done it many times where, you know, on my way to church, you know when you just say something awful to your spouse and they come into church and you're like, this is the day that the Lord has made, you know, and you're like, hey, everybody, you know? <laughs> He's saying, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. I, I think about how, you know, people gather for Bible study or for a prayer meeting, but then the afterglow becomes a time of gossip and slander. These things ought not to be so. I think about those who have been well-trained in how to talk the Christian talk. You know all the right things to say around all the right people, and then you get around a different group of people, or you go online, or whatever it is, the coarse joking and the cursing comes spewing out of your mouth. These things ought not to be so. How can we, one moment, bless our God, and then turn around and curse our fellow man? Don't, don't we know that we have all been made in the image and likeness of God? Well, verse 11 and 12 says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James finally speaks here about fruit and water as a final way to convince us that this is not how Christians should be living, that, that Christians have been born again. We are new creatures in Christ, that, that we have been made righteous and we have an eternal hope. We're bondservants of Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. Therefore, our practice needs to match our position. 
We're to close the gap between what we believe and how we behave. If you really believe the gospel, what's coming out of your mouth? Does fresh water and salt water come from the same source? No. Then from your mouth, there should not be righteousness and unrighteousness coming from the same source. This is telling us, again, a huge principle, that the words we speak are going to be a revelation of what's inside of you. Are you a righteous child of God? Then speak with righteousness. We'll slip up, won't we? We all stumble in many ways. But the ongoing habit of your tongue will be a testimony of what's really going on inside of your soul. What is in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. So if gossip, slander, coarse joking, cursing, lying, exaggerating, flattering, manipulating, if these things are coming from your mouth, if these sins are found on your tongue, then it's giving a revelation of what's inside of your heart. So, church, let's encourage with our tongues, not discourage. Let's build up, don't tear down. Let's bless, let's not curse. Let's give life and not bring death. I like, I'll add one more that Rob told me for a service. Be a balcony, not a basement. You know, a balcony calls people up. A basement calls people down. What are you speaking? And what is the effect that it's going to have on the people around you? Because your tongue is a really good measurement of your spiritual maturity in Christ. Because olives don't grow on fig trees, and figs don't grow on grapevines. You can't drink from a salt pond. So what are you? Do you belong to Jesus? Are you bearing fruit that is keeping with repentance? Are the fruits of the Spirit manifesting in your lives? Which, by the way, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. That means that we can, by the Spirit of God, control the things that we say. And, And just listen to this. To be an olive tree, you have to be born of olive seed. To be a fig tree, you have to be born of fig seed. To be a Christian... You have to be born again by the seed of the Spirit and by the Word of God. And if you are born again, then bear fruits of the Holy Spirit. One of them, again, being self-control. But if you've come here today, and you would say with your tongue, I don't don't believe in Jesus. I haven't been born again, but, but today I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing that with my tongue that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, you have. But the Bible also says that Jesus is a savior. And one of my favorite scriptures that I've been looking at recently in Romans chapter 10 is how a person can be saved. And I love this because it says that you use your tongue to make a confession. And this is how it goes. If you want to be saved today, if you want to come to Jesus Christ, have him be your God, have him be your savior, have him transform your life, which will include your tongue. This is how you do it. It says that the word of God is near to you. It's even in your mouth. You have heard the word of God today. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so it's right there. It's right there. So what do you do? If you believe the things that I've said, and if you believe that Jesus is God, and that he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross and to be raised from the dead, the Bible says this, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Paul says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so with your tongue today, you can do that. You can call upon the name of Jesus and he will save you because he is abundant in love and grace and mercy and oh, how we need it. Our tongues tell us so, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that if there's anyone here today who wants to make that confession, they can do it right now. And so Lord, I wanna lead in a prayer real fast for anyone who wants to pray to receive Jesus Christ and have him be born again by the Spirit of God. And if this is you, if what you've heard today, you want to accept Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner and that I've sinned with my tongue. But God, I also want to say today that you are a Savior. I believe, Jesus, that you lived a perfect life. You spoke only truth. And what you say is true. You died on a cross for my sins. You were raised from the dead. And that by believing that, by calling upon your name, I will be saved. And so, Lord Jesus, will you save me? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, you just used your tongue to call upon the name of the Lord, and he is faithful. And we're gonna go now into a time of communion, and it's gonna be a special time. You know why? Because we get to take these elements, the bread and the cup, and they're gonna touch our tongues today. Because oh, how we need it, every single one of us. We need the sacrificial work of Jesus to touch us today. So Pastor Ben is gonna come and tell us uh, a little more instruction about communion.